believe it was back in November of 2016 was the last time that I was here at Christ Point. And now to be with you at the beginning of 2018, celebrating the King of all kings and hearing the book of all books today. What a great moment. I was thinking about the beginning of 2018 and what I wanted to express and share with you today. And I kept thinking about the idea of new beginnings. Of course, the letter or the number eight is a number for new beginnings in Scripture. 2018, a year of new beginnings. Uh, and I was reminded of the passage in Psalm 128. And I want to ask you to go ahead and turn there this morning. My favorite way of expressing the Word of God is through expository preaching, which simply means you take a passage of Scripture and you expose it. You preach from that passage. And so today that's what I'd like to do. I would like to share uh, an expository message from Psalm 128 as we simply look at this together, read this together, and let the Scripture speak to us together at the beginning of 28, uh, 2018. And I've titled the message, The Leadership Blessing, because if there's ever a time that we needed true, authentic, genuine, passionate Christian leadership, it's right now in 2018. And today when I look out across this sanctuary, this auditorium, I am hopeful that there are generations of leaders sitting here who have made a determination in your heart in 2018 to express and model genuine, authentic Christian leadership. So we're going to look at Psalm 128. In fact, before I read it, just to get the creative juices flowing, I hope you have some notes or your phone where you can take some notes because uh, sociologists say that we forget about uh, 70, 80 percent of what we hear within 72 hours. So I want you to take notes today. And to get the creative juices flowing, I want you to answer this question. If you had one word to describe yourself, what would that word be? Write it down. In your notes, on your phone, one word to describe yourself, what would it be? Now, some of us might find it a bit more easier to write that word down. Some of us may have to think about it a little while or consider it. Some of us may quickly write down a positive word like loyalty, loving, hopeful, joyful. Some of us may be struggling right now, and the word that we write down that depicts us at this moment is frustrated, irritated. Um, but whatever it is today, my hope is by the end of this message that there will be a sense in your heart that God is calling you to a moment of spiritual leadership in your life, in your family, in the marketplace, in the church, in our community, and you will experience that in a personal way. Psalm 128. Blessed 
is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. I want to talk to you about this morning a word that may describe you that you perhaps may not have thought about. And it's the word blessed. So Father, today we come to you, we bow before you, we realize that it's not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit that guides us. Lord, I pray that you will help us to understand that we are blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when we're coming in, blessed when we're going out, blessed from above and not beneath, that when we are sensitive to your presence and obey your voice, that you command the blessing. Pray today that this word will not just be a word that we will hear, but we will activate. Help us not to just experience the word of God in hearing, but in doing. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So we look at this passage of Scripture, and first of all we read the idea of verse 1. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. I want you to write this down in your notes, the first point of this message, the blessed life. Would you say it after me, the blessed life? Come on, one more time, the blessed life. You've got to hear what you've said to see what you've heard. Say it again, the blessed life. It begins with the understanding that our lives are blessed. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. Let's just, let's just take a moment and expose this first phrase, blessed, in the Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word ashar, which literally means to advance in a straight line. So when you're blessed, you're advancing in a straight line. In your spiritual journey, you're not taking detours you're not being distracted. You are advancing quickly from one moment to another, from one destination to another. I don't know about you, but when I travel, I don't like to take detours. I don't like to be distracted. I want to get from where I'm going or where I am to where I'm going, and I want to get there as quickly as I can. Did you know in your spiritual journey that you can be so blessed that you don't have to wander around in the wilderness? You don't have to be distracted. You don't have to experience detours that you can be blessed. The blessed life means that you are advancing in a straight line. You are moving forward. You're in movement. There's movement in your life. There's action. You are progressing spiritually. And you're blessed because you fear the Lord. 
Now, sometimes the word fear can be intimidating. But I want you to know it doesn't mean here that you are frightened or intimidated by the Lord. That's not the meaning of the Hebrew word here. It's actually talking about reverencing the Lord. You are awestruck. You are amazed by the Lord. I like to say it this way, that when you fear the Lord, you take Him seriously. And if you haven't noticed lately, there's a lot of people in our culture, and in American culture, who have basically started taking the Lord casually and not fearfully. They're not taking Him seriously. So they'll come on a Sunday morning and come to a worship service, but then during the week they leave Him back at the church on Sunday and they take Him casually the rest of the week. It's almost as if we want to buy the Lord for half price. We just came through Christmas, and I know some people don't like Christmas shopping. I like Christmas shopping. I mean, during the weeks leading up to Christmas, I just love to, to go out myself and just visit stores and look at things for my wife to surprise her and for my kids, for my daughter. I mean, I bought my daughter this pair of brown boots uh, a couple of weeks before Christmas. And I was so excited to see her open those boots on Christmas. And what was even more exciting to me was, was this last week she wore those boots to the International Mission Center, which means she likes them. Because if she didn't, I would never see them again. They would be in the closet. I would never see them. But now I know she likes them. So my teenage daughter's wearing the boots that I bought her for Christmas, and I was so excited about that. But I love Christmas shopping. And the thing is about Christmas shopping is you don't look to buy things for full price. If it's full price, I don't buy it. I look for 50% off. Or I find a store that's pasted with 50% off, 70% off. And those are the stores I like to go into and shop for my family for Christmas. We're, we're wired to want to get something because it's a great deal. And we don't have to pay full price for it. But can I tell you, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, we're not going to be able to involve Him in our lives because of a shortcut or purchase Him half price. He gave His entire life, His being. He gave Himself for us. And so when He comes to us, He says, listen, you can't buy me half price. You can't buy me casually or follow me casually. You have to give yourself. You have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You have to pay full price for me. Go 100% for me. You need to take me seriously. Blessed, advancing in a straight line, is the one who takes the Lord seriously, who walks in His ways. The other day I was driving on the I-5 out in Southern California, and honestly, I was going a little bit too fast. And there was a highway patrolman 
sitting along the side of the road when I saw the highway patrolman, I, my footwork changed. I hit, tapped my brakes. I looked down at my speedometer and realized I was going a little too fast. And here I was driving, looking in my rearview mirror, side mirrors to see, oh my goodness, did that highway patrolman clock me going too fast? Well, fortunately, he didn't pull out, and I kept on driving, but I can tell you that my speed changed. My footwork changed, and here's why. Because I recognized someone in authority was watching what I was doing. See, I think sometimes we take the Lord casually because we forget that He's watching what we're doing. And whether we recognize it or discern it or not, He's looking down at our lives and He's wondering if we are speeding, if we are taking things too quickly, if we're, if we're not understanding the the life of Christ and the service of Christ that he's placed before us and that we're walking in his ways. That the most important thing is not our feelings but our feet. How we walk out our Christian lives. We make a determination that it's not my will but it's his will that's done. We make a determination that we're not blessing him some of the time but all of the time. We make a determination that we're not surrendering some to Him, but we're surrendering all to Him. Our footwork changes. So the blessed life is about advancing in a straight line because we take Christ seriously and our footwork changes to make sure we walk out His ways and not our own. Are you ready for the second verse? We move to the second verse and now we read the idea, when you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Second idea, write it down, the blessed job. Somebody say it after me, the blessed job. One more time, the blessed job. Can I give you just a short synopsis of the theology of work in Scripture? Did you know that Work was actually created before sin. Work was not a result of sin. In the beginning, it was a blessing, a gift from God. In fact, God placed Adam in the garden, and according to Genesis 2.15, Adam was placed there to work the garden to tend the garden. It was a blessing. It was a gift. God even created Eve, placed her alongside of Adam so that she could help him in the garden. It was a blessing. The garden was clean and pristine. Adam didn't have to worry about a weed eater or an edger. He just had to tend the garden, take care of the garden. But then what happened? Sin, the original sin took place and the purpose of work, the result of that original sin moved the blessing of work to the curse of work. 
In fact, if we read Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, one of the judgments for sin is a curse that it's placed on work. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. What happens is we have this introduction of thorns and thistles. The creation of pushback. This understanding that now creation is pushing back against humankind because of sin. Thorns and thistles arrive on the scene. Perseverance through the perspiration or the sweat of the brow. That's why for some of us today when we look at our job, we hate our job. And we say, I hate my job. I wished I had another job. Because we see it as a prison sentence. The thorns and the thistles of creation are pushing back against us. We're experiencing the perspiration of our brow. The curse of work. In fact, not only is creation sometimes at, at work, but some of our co-workers become thorns and thistles, if you know what I mean. So, we have, in the beginning, God creates the blessing of work. That's a good thing. Sin comes along, and now we have the curse of work. That's the bad thing. But thank God it doesn't stop there. Because Jesus enters the scene, and not only, and we, we don't often realize this, but not only does He redeem humankind, but he redeems work. Which means now when we're working, we change our perspective and it's not about working for an employer or a company. It's about working for the Lord. Which means that when you go to your job today or tomorrow, that you're not going to that job to work for an employer, you're going to work for the Lord. You're not going to work for a company, you're going to work for the Lord. You're not going to work for the hospital, you're going to work for the Lord. You're not going to work for a business, you're going to work for the Lord. You're not going to work to move numbers around. You're going to work for the Lord. You're not going to build houses. You're going to work for the Lord. You're not going to market and promote. You're going to work for the Lord. God changes the arrangement. And we move from a curse of work to a blessed job, a blessing to work. Because now we're not going to work 50 hours 
for 50 years so we can retire. 50 hours a week for 50 years to retire. We're not going to amass wealth or accumulate finances so we have enough retirement so we don't have to work anymore. No, we're going so we advance the kingdom of God on earth and we intensify our light wherever we are to move the kingdom and mission of Christ forward in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So if you're going to work today or tomorrow and you're not going with that understanding and perspective, you're missing the whole meaning of the book of all books when it comes to a blessed job. You're, you're not understanding why you're doing what you're doing. If you're not doing what you're doing, you're not making the world a better place, first of all, and second, you're not making eternity a better place because the only way the mission of Christ moves forward is because there's a born-again believer in every uh, workplace, in the marketplace, every sector of society, every institution shining brightly in the midst of the darkness. God completely redeems work. Changes your perspective. Gentleman walks up. Sees a guy at a construction site and he says, hey, what you doing? And he says, I'm laying bricks. He walks up a few more steps and there's another guy and he says, hey, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building a cathedral. One guy had the perspective that he was building or laying bricks. Another guy had the perspective that he was building a cathedral. Some of us have the perspective that we're laying bricks. Some of us have the perspective that we're building the kingdom of God. We're building the cathedral of God on earth. And everything that we do is about advancing the kingdom of God and doing something of eternal significance. Messenger students, that's why the missional life is not just a spontaneous or moment-by-moment -moment thing. It's a lifestyle. Whether you're in your classrooms, whether you're working your job, being missional is about intensifying your light continuously and building a cathedral, moving the kingdom of God forward on earth at all times. Somebody say a blessed job. You ready for the third verse? You're getting this today. Leadership blessing. In the third verse, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around the table. Love that idea. It's the idea of the fact that your family is blessed. Somebody say a blessed family. And isn't it interesting that the scripture says in the very heart of your house. Did you know that your house has a heart? 
it has a climate, an environment, an atmosphere. Most of the time, I can, I'll just be candid, I can walk into a, a house and I can sense the heart of that house, the spiritual atmosphere and climate of that house, just spiritually in tune with, with what's happening there. It's an incredible understanding that when we have a blessed family, that there's a healthy heart in our homes. And right here, we read about the idea that there's table time. And table time in the Old Testament, children growing up as olive plants, that's, that's an interesting idea because it took about 15 to 20 years for an olive plant to become an olive tree. So as parents, we recognize that we have 15 to 20 years to nurture and cultivate those olive plants so they become solid olive trees in our culture and community. But in the Old Testament, table time was used to not just eat food, but develop the spiritual climate of the home and provide direction for the children. So it was special. It was not just special, but it was ordinary for families to gather around the table because that's where mom and dad used those significant moments to shape and direct their families and their children. I know today it seems extremely challenging to us because we're constantly dealing with hectic and busy schedules. You know, my, my kids are, except Grace, my 13-year-old, they're out of the house. But during the time that they were growing up, I mean, they come running downstairs and they're running fast to try to get ready for school. And then after school, there's sports, you know, basketball practice or baseball practice and, you know, homework. And it was this incredible challenge to try to figure out how do we strategically create moments around the table for spiritual direction. All of us have to work it out in our own way. I know for my family, I used the morning breakfast time. And my kids knew that before they ever left for school, they were going to sit down at the table with dad for about five minutes. And I was going to share a scripture with them and pray with them before they headed out the door for school. All the way through their junior high and high school years, that that was the commitment that we had as a family, that in the morning, before everybody headed out, there was a spiritual moment asking for God's direction and support and help through the day. And then one time a week, usually on Friday night, if there wasn't a basketball game or a baseball game or I wasn't traveling, it was family night at the Ming house, Friday night. And we would eat dinner together or we would order pizza and have it delivered or take, take it out and bring it home and we would spend time together and there was always one moment in that evening that we would sit down and we would ask, how, 
How's everyone doing? What's the state of your soul? What can we pray with you about? And for just a moment, we would pray with, with one another and use that Friday night as a, as a table time. Because before you know it, the years have passed by and, and that olive plant has become an olive tree. And you're no longer there for input and direction like you have at this moment in time. And we read that scripture and it talks about a, a husband and a wife and, and children. We also know today that in America that's not always the picture of what the family looks like. As much as we would want it to be that, we have single moms and single dads working two and three jobs just trying to supply or provide for their kids. Challenges that have been created because of, of situations of separation and divorce and problems in the family. So as much as we would want Psalm 128 verse 3 to be the picture of every home, it's not. And yet may I simply declare to you today that when you have a family, whether it's a single parent home or two parents, you can still develop the heartbeat of your home to be in alignment with your Creator and with your Christ. Never forget the dad who wept in my arms and he began to just sob as I was holding him, his life was falling apart. His wife had divorced him. He had lost custody of his kids because of false accusations of child abuse. His life was falling apart and he's sobbing in my, my arms. He's a first generation Christian, the first one in his family to accept Jesus as Lord. And now everything is falling apart and he doesn't know what to do. As we began to talk and pray together, I looked at him and I'm just going just gonna to call him James for now. I said, James, understand that you have an opportunity to create a brand new picture of what a home looks like. I know you're going through these challenges and these struggles, but you have an opportunity to change the pattern. Your dad's not a Christian. Your mom's not a Christian. Your grandparents are not Christians. You're a first-generation Christian, and you have the opportunity to change the picture and the pattern of what the heart looks like in your home. And I'm telling you something in the spiritual realm, the Holy Spirit seized his heart that day and he made a brand new commitment in his home to be a picture and a reflection of what a blessed family looks like. And even to this day, God has completely transformed his family life. He's married. He has kids. They're serving God and he's moving forward as a blessed family and a blessed home with a blessed heart. Wherever we find ourselves today in family life, whoever's serving the Lord in our families, whether our spouse is or our kids are, 
I'm telling you today that you can have a blessed family, that God can transform literally your family and create a clean heart, a pure heart in your home so that when people walk into your house, they'll sense the divine presence of God. Verse 4. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Now I know we might, we might want to just skip right over that. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. Isn't that the same thing that was said in verse 1? Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. And we could just read right through that unless we understand that the word blessed there in the Hebrew is a completely different word. It's not the word ashar in Hebrew that talks about advancing in a straight line. We might think it would be because in the English it's translated the same, blessed, but it's not. It's actually the Hebrew word barach, which simply means to kneel or position yourself for blessing. Think about it. In the Old Testament, the patriarchs would bow as Isaac would bless his son Jacob. And so what the psalmist is saying is very clear in this passage. Blessed, positioned, ready for a transfer of God's presence and anointing and inheritance is the one who takes him serious. What I'm telling you, what I'm sharing with you is transformative because it talks about positioning yourself to be blessed. And that is all about a decision and not your situation. Sometimes the greatest transformation that occurs in your heart is not situational, it's decisional. You make a decision to position yourself to be blessed. Hallelujah. And I want to challenge you today in this worship service that that gets in your spirit. Position yourself to be blessed. Bow down before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm humbling myself before you because I know if I humble myself before you, you will exalt me in due time. You will bless me in due time. I position myself to experience blessing. We read on, and it talks about the Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. The Lord bless you out of Zion. I hope you're getting the progression here. The fifth idea is the blessed church. Are you seeing the progression? The blessed life, the blessed job. The blessed family. <laughs> what is Zion anyway? Did you know Zion is actually three things in the Old Testament? Is everybody still with me? Are you awake? I'm getting a few blank stares this morning. All right, I just want to make sure you're following along. Are you taking notes today? The blessed church, Zion, was three things in the Old Testament. First of all, it was a mountain. The mountain of Zion was 
where God resided. Then it was a city, the city of Zion or the city of David. And then it was a temple. It was the place, the temple of Zion, the presence of God, where the presence of God resided. But every place, whether it was the mountain of God, the city of God, or the tabernacle of God, it was about God's presence. So wherever you read about Zion in the Old Testament, you're reading about God's presence. And isn't it amazing that in the New Testament, God transforms Zion from a place to a people. So now, you're not going necessarily to a place, to the mountain, to the city, to the tabernacle. You are connecting as a people because it transitioned. Zion becomes the church of the living God because we now become the temples or the tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that he is abiding and residing in you? So now the church is blessed. And everywhere we go, we are taking the presence of God. And that's why this gathering is so important on the weekends and through the week because it wasn't just about taking your family to Zion to worship and hear a good word. In the Old Testament, families would go to Zion because they wanted to hear the assignment that God was giving to them to impact their world. So hear me. This, I hope this just knocks your socks off this morning. You don't come to Christ's point just to worship the Lord. <laughs> because worship is a lifestyle, not a service. You're not just worshiping for 20 minutes. You worship every moment as a Christian, every day of your life. Worship is a lifestyle. So you're not coming here just to worship, and you're not coming here just to hear a good word. You're coming here to experience an affirmation and reinforcement of the divine assignment that God has given to you and your family to advance the kingdom outside the four walls of the church because now Zion is what is blessing the nation. The Lord bless you out of Zion out of the church. So, when your family comes, this is perspective, mindset. I'm not coming just to worship. I'm not coming to just hear a message. I'm coming to reaffirm with my family concerning the divine assignment that God has called me to do outside the walls of the church. I'm encouraged. I'm inspired. I'm challenged. I experience the presence of God so I can take the presence of God with me. I hear the word of God so I can take the word of God with me. I'm inspired by the great commission and the divine assignment so I can take the divine assignment with me. I know. It's, it would take me... Uh, some weeks to completely unveil this to you. But I hope you're understanding the divine perspective of a blessed church. A blessed church is a blessed people who carry the presence of the Holy Spirit with them. 
And finally, in closing, it says the Lord will bless you out of Zion. There will be goodness in Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Do you see it? Jerusalem, city, Israel, nation. City, nation. You move from the blessed church to a blessed city and a blessed nation. I hope you're getting the progression. Because here, here's what's happening sometimes in America. People have messed up lives. So they have messed up jobs. Because they have messed up lives and messed up jobs, they have messed up families. Because they have messed up lives and messed up jobs and messed up families, they have messed up churches. Because they have messed up lives and messed up jobs and messed up families and messed up churches, they have messed up cities. Because they have messed up lives and messed up jobs and messed up families and messed up churches and messed up cities, they have messed up nations. Because they have messed up lives and messed up jobs and messed up families and messed up churches and messed up cities and messed up nations, we have a messed up world. But, listen, listen, if we have blessed lives, we'll have blessed jobs. We have blessed lives, we have blessed jobs, we have blessed families. We have blessed lives and blessed jobs and blessed families, we're going to have blessed churches. We have blessed lives and blessed families, blessed jobs, blessed churches, we're going to have blessed cities. We have blessed lives, blessed jobs, blessed families, blessed churches and blessed cities, we're going to have blessed nations. We have blessed lives and blessed jobs and blessed families and blessed cities and blessed churches and blessed nations, we're going to have a blessed world. And it all begins with me. The leadership blessing begins with me. Straight, advancing in a straight line. Because I am taking God seriously and walking in His ways impacts my job, which impacts my family, which impacts my church, which impacts my city, which impacts my nation, which eventually impacts the world.